Good evening, everyone. It's uh, good to be here again this evening. And uh, thank you, John, for leading us into the presence of the Lord. Um, We're just going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to look at that passage this evening. Father in heaven, we, uh, we do thank you for the wonderful privilege that we have of being in your holy presence tonight. We thank you that we come in your dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name in heaven in which we can be saved, in which we can approach your glorious throne. And we thank you that you've given us your holy word and you teach us from it. And we pray that you will teach us again this evening and that you would make this passage that we have read this evening from your word come alive to us and uh, really uh, strengthen us in our walk with your dear self. So do bless this passage this evening. And we do pray that in all this, Jesus would be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I will be using the New King James Version, um, as that's what I normally use when I preach. But, um, yeah, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 34 and uh, 35 this evening. Now, recent weeks we've been going through uh, these passages, not every week, I think Bob preached on something else. I was out last uh, time, but Bob preached the previous uh, uh, Sunday. And um, as we've been looking through these chapters, the, the first 39 chapters are really about trust me. That's what God is saying to his people. Trust me and not idols. Because that was the biggest problem. That's what we've been reading as we go through these passages. And um, we find that Isaiah, uh, he prophesied for many years and uh, he had several kings who were reigning, Uzziah in the first place, and then his son Jotham and Ahaz. And Ahaz particularly uh, was an idolater, and uh, he really didn't want to know God whatsoever. And, uh, and when he got trouble, he went to the Assyrians. And, uh, he, you know, he was led by his idols. And as Bob was preaching the last time, and uh, that was another, this was King Hezekiah, which is when this prophecy is, that they were looking for the Egyptians for help. I think that was more some of the advice from, from uh, the, uh, some of the uh, people who were around Isaiah. His advisors were telling him, look, we're going to need help when we, because the Assyrians invaded the land. Um, but God was all the while through his servants saying, trust me. And that's the message for us today, isn't it? The New Testament is exactly the same. Trust me, trust the living God, trust the Lord Jesus. And here, um, uh, this man Isaiah, and he prophesied some really harsh things, and uh, we've heard some messages. He not just, didn't just prophesy to Judah, the kingdom where he was living, but he prophesied to the nations around him uh, of God's judgment and, uh, and really exposing what their hearts were like in their idol worship. And uh, he was able to do this in the strength of chapter 6, which Bob again quoted. We always need to go back to that because he, uh, in in the the year it said King Uzziah died, that he was downcast because by and large Uzziah was a a godly king. And then he finds himself, uh, this king has gone. But he went into the temple and Christ met with him, the glorified Christ, 
uh, before he ever come on this earth. He saw the majesty of Christ. You read that in John's gospel, uh, that, that this was Christ he saw. And that brought a real sense of reality of what life is really about and who is in complete control of all things. And it's the Lord. It's the living God. And as we look at this passage tonight, it, it, is, quite, it is a contrast, as John was saying, and, uh, and it's, a, it's a difficult one to tackle. But there are two things in this passage, and one of them is about judgment, but also there is one about um, redemption. And there is hope as we look at it. And I praise God that there is chapter 35, because chapter 34 is a pretty miserable chapter. I want to say this, I'm sure you've all seen on the news, particularly last weekend, of this group of people who call themselves Extinction. Um, Extinction, they believe we're going to be extinct in a a little while because we're pumping a lot of diesel fumes and all sorts of things into the atmosphere, burning forests and all manner of things. And people are saying, it's got to stop, it's in our hands. We must Stop and save this planet. That's what they're saying. And, uh, you know, there are lots of people saying, we we are the only ones that can save this planet. We've seen all these programs like Blue Planet and all manner of these programs, and they're saying, it's up to us to do something about it. We can save it. Well, when we look at this passage, we see that is not the case. You see, this is an idol. This is an idol. And there's this young girl, full of good intentions from Sweden. And, uh, uh, and she's really getting exaltation from all sorts of politicians. And, uh, and because she's been on strike at school, because she said it's not worth going to school anymore, because we might not be around in a little while, and I don't need my education. Um, this is the, the state of the world. But can I say this? There's always been a bogeyman. And in my lifetime of nearly 71 years now, when, when I was growing up, the bogeyman was, will there be another war? And I can understand that because my parents had, had experienced two world wars and, uh, and they've seen what a devastating effect that has on the world and, uh, and particularly on people's lives in, you know, that lived around in this country. Uh, of course, things were worse by then because we've got atomic bombs and then we've got the hydrogen bomb. And they became the bogeyman because then CND, very similar, doing exactly the same things that it, where extinction was doing. So there's nothing new under the, under the sun, as the Bible teaches us. Uh, these peaceful, so-called peaceful um, demonstrations, sitting down and blocking highways and one thing and another. So there's always been a bogeyman. But, uh, but the thing is, these are all deceptions because they're taking people away from the truth. And when we look at chapter 34 this evening, and, and as I've been looking through this, and, and as John read it to us afresh again tonight, um, it's a pretty miserable chapter, isn't it? It's about desolation. It's about judgment. And, uh, and the first thing that I, I want to say here this evening uh, that we read from this passage is that there is a summons 
from God. There is a summons from God. And uh, he says this in verse 1, where he says, Come near you nations. We've been talking about, uh, as we've gone through this series, all sorts of nations. But he said, Come near you nations to hear, and heed you people. Let the earth hear, and all that is in it the world and all the things that come forth from it. This is a summons to the world. This is not just to Judah or Israel or any of the local countries that were around them. This is to the world. This is for us today. This is relevant today. This is the living God who is bringing a summons. Now, what is a summons? A summons is where you can be summoned to a court and you must appear there. Um... Uh, I mean, I've experienced that myself when I was involved in an accident many years ago on my motorbike. When I was a teenager, I was summoned to the court to stand trial in a magistrate's court uh, because of uh, they said I committed a crime. Praise God, I was there, and praise God, there was no case to be found. I was innocent. And uh, But the thing is this, and and you can be summoned by somebody else, the tax man, for instance. um, The government can be saying, you owe them tax money. And you can be summoned to court. And you've got to go, because if you don't go, they will try you, and they uh, they will take as much money as they want from you, including they have the power to take it from your wages. So you do not ignore a summons. Okay, so if you're summoned to a court, go. And likewise, this is God who is summoning the people of this world, then and now. And he's saying, this is what I've got to say to you. And it's judgment. Because what he goes on to say here, this is the thing that he's judging us on. He's, uh, <clears throat> uh, this is God's, uh, when I look at this passage, it's the judgment that is something that is always going on in this world. There is judgment coming on upon, upon uh, all peoples across this world. And, uh, but there is this final judgment as well, where he said, the indignation of the Lord is against us, and his fury or his anger is against all their armies. He is, you know, a country sometimes defines itself by the... The, the size of its army, by the power of its army. They see that their strength is in that. You'll see that all throughout history. Look at all the, the great empires. They're built up on the greatness of the armies or, or in more modern times on the navies as well. And, uh, and they can wield their power. Well, God knows all of that and his fury is against them. And he, he has utterly destroyed them. Uh, He has given them over to slaughter. Friends, those things have happened, haven't they? When you look through history, and some people say, God's on our side. You know, war is just a a sad thing about the fact that we are got Adam's nature. And that's what brings us to war. Yes, there are times when you're right in when you're defending yourself against a a belligerent nation which thinks they want to take over the world. Um, and we see that, that there is a righteousness in that sense. But at the end of the day, it's a judgment upon the world that we're living in. And God is talking about these things. But I think the key verse 
in this passage that uh, in verse 4 it says this, all the host of heaven shall be dissolved and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. That line there, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. What's a scroll? Well, that's a book. That was a book in ancient times. They didn't have books as we do today. And what it is telling us is this, that God, not extinction, not ourselves, not an idol. Bob was talking about the idols this morning, heads of people on plimps and people bow down and worship them and pick up all manner of things. It's not those. It is God. And he will roll up the heavens like a scroll. He is the one who will shut the book on this world when it comes to an end. God is in complete control. He is working out his plan and purposes. And this is what he's telling us in this scripture. There are some real hard things here. We see about the, the, the armies and the dead bodies. Well, that's, as I say, it's an ongoing judgment. We're, we're, the reality of that is seen. You can read it in ancient history. You can read it in the Bible. And we can see it on films of the, the, the recent war, certainly the First World War, where millions of men were died. It was a terrible thing. And, uh, and if I've never been on a battlefield. I, I've never experienced, but people who told me who were in the Second World War, when there are dead bodies there, they stink. They smell. I think the nearest I'd come to it was when I was being driven home from work one night, and a, a lorry... A big old lorry came through Ampton when they used to lend, uh, when they used to let them through there, and, uh, and it had an open top, and uh, it obviously had dead carcasses in there. The smell was awful. The chap who was driving the car said, "It's enough to take the enamel off your teeth." That's what he said. But that's what it's like. And uh, you know, this is there is this ongoing judgment, and people are experiencing this even today, even through these days when we see these bombs going off. There's awful judgment at the end of that. I know people are perpetrating these crimes, but, you know, God sees this as a judgment upon, this is a part of his judgment upon this world that we're living in. But he is the one who is in control. He is the one who will shut up the heavens and roll it up like a, like a scroll. If you was to read in Revelation chapter 6, you will find similar words there. There are some people who think that Revelation is a book uh, which is completely detached from the rest of the Bible and, uh, and it has no roots anywhere else. Well, they're totally wrong. You've only come back to this passage and you'll find that some of the words and the, and the, the judgments that are brought uh, upon this world, you'll find them in Revelation and not least chapter 6, where he talks there about rolling up uh, the heavens like a scroll. And, and we find here in this passage, and I cannot explain this to you, you might be able to explain it to me afterwards, where it says the heavens, that's the stars, like they're going to be falling. Now, I don't understand that. Can you understand that? But, but there is something here that... It, Awful is going to happen in the judgment of God. You'll find that in the book of Revelation as well. Uh, Paul wrote in uh, Romans chapter 8 that he says that, that uh, when Adam sinned, the whole of creation was affected by it. 
it, it, uh, the perfection of create, creation was gone in that moment. That's why we have the problems that we have in the world. That's why that uh, you're careful when you, uh, you know, if you saw a pride of lions, if you was on safari or something, or you've only got to go to Wo- uh, Woburn Safari Park, would you get out the cars there and go and stroke a tiger? I wouldn't. I'd like to, because they're quite endearing-looking animals, aren't they? But I wouldn't want to do that, because we're a fallen creation. That the whole of creation, the whole of the universe. And we read that God is gonna will renew that. We'll look at that in a few moments. But I don't understand what's gonna happen, but it's a terrifying thought. And I know that when you read in the book of Revelation, that it says there, when these days come, that the men will run to the mountains and hide themselves. And uh, because of the fear and the terror that will come on those days. These this is not, you know, this is a, a, a really serious word from, from the scriptures here this evening. This is the reality and uh, where, you know, the world are, are in darkness. They do not want to know about God. They want to do away with God. And they come up with all sorts of theories and religions and things like that. And, uh, and here is the reality And the next thing that I'm going to move on to here as the passage moves on, because he mentions Edom. Uh, They are the the sort of uh, example from the word of God of the enemies to God's people. This small nation of Edom. Edom is a nickname of Esau. Esau, the brother of Jacob. And Edom means red. I believe if you look at, uh, I've not been there myself, I think Edom is, uh, would have been in what is now the land of Jordan. And uh, I believe there's a lot of red sandstone and, uh, and things like that. But also, you see, Esau was called red because he sold his birthright to eat some red pottage when he was hungry, when he'd been hunting all day in the field and he caught nothing or shot something with his arrows he went to his brother Jacob who had on the boil some lentils red lentils and he said give me some of that and he said I'll give it to you if you sell me your birthright all right then he he thought his uh, because he was the older of the two brothers of twins they were and he sold his birthright for a bowl of lentils red and he got this nickname of Eden and the country took its name on but they're the enemies of God. Now, the story of Esau continues that not only did he sell his birthright to Jacob, he also lost the blessing, the blessing that Abraham gave to his son Isaac. This is the blessing of God, of uh, that uh, they are the blessed people and that the, the people as we are today will have the blessing of Abraham because of faith in Christ and we find that uh, this uh, blessing was passed uh, down to Jacob, though he did it by subtlety rather than by uh, Isaac saying, come in and bless. No, he said, I'll bless you, Esau. And uh, this subtlety, he dressed up as Esau did Jacob, and he received the blessing. And when Esau came in and he realized what had happened, he wanted to kill Jacob, his brother. And wisely... 
his mother Rebecca, Jacob's mother Rebecca, and had a word with Isaac, and they sent him off to get a wife up in the north. And he, 20 years passed, and when Esau and Jacob met again, Jacob was cool enough to, uh, uh, to embrace his brother in love. Uh, he had forgotten all the things that had happened. But just to say this, you know, that in that, he was like a Terminator. If you know the films, the Terminator films, where uh, they go forward, as they do in these films, like they do in Doctor Who and things like that, where there was a war going on. And the leader of this particular group of people, so I've not really seen it much, they thought the best way of stopping this good leader is killing him before he's even born. So they send a Terminator in to kill his mother. And Satan's strategy is that if we kill the chosen person, like Jacob, then the Christ will not be born to that family. I mean, it happened later on. Saul tried to kill King David, didn't he? And then you can go on. uh, I was reading that recently in... uh, Two Chronicles, uh, Queen Athaliah, she killed all the sons of her brother, the king, who was of the house of David, except for one who they hid away, because she was this termination. Stop the Messiah coming. That was always the plan of Satan. Praise God. God is in control, and they couldn't do that. But secondly, as well, the Eden, as the enemies of God, we find that uh, years later, After the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they began to make the final push, as it were, towards the promised land of Canaan, that they went to Edom and they said, let us pass through your country, we'll go on the king's highway, we'll pay for any water, we'll pay for any food. And the king of uh, of Edom said, no. He blocked the way and he brought his army out and said, no even though they were related. And that's the type of the world religion today. That's the type of work that Satan is going on. I said about uh, scientific theories, so-called scientific theories, which have gripped people in this country. And that's the thinking of extinction of something else. They don't, God never comes into their thinking whatsoever because they uh, have this great deception from Satan. And it opposes uh, the word of God. And so uh, it's like they are blocking people from the gospel. That's what Satan is trying to do. The children of Israel had to go round a long way to get to the promised land. And Satan is seeking to block, as Eden blocked, to stop people hearing the good news about the Lord Jesus exactly goes on today there's all these different religions so I say different theories politics you name it it's there blocking the way for people to hear the truth about the Lord Jesus and the final thing I want to say about Eden because they are the enemies of God we need to go jump forward in the the minor prophets to Obadiah we find that Obadiah um, it's a very short book But it's a prophecy against Edom again because when Judah and Jerusalem fell to the Babylonian Empire, they rejoiced 
They rejoiced because they hated the Jews. In fact, they went in and helped them out and helped themselves to the spoil as well. And God's judgment is upon them. God knew, of course, this was going to happen. But we need to look at Edom. That's the, that's the, the enemies of God's people. And friends, all the enemies of God's people, as we read through here, are going to be under this awful judgment of God. He says vengeance. He uses that word. There will be vengeance against these people. There will be uh, destruction. And there will be this final destruction. We read a fire. We read a pitch. And, uh, and it reminds us of, uh, you know, God has done these things in the past. Sodom and Gomorrah was completely obliterated, wasn't it? By fire. They believe the site of Sodom and Gomorrah was down by where the Red Sea is. The Red Sea wasn't as big uh, as it is today because that's where the water came in when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. God's judgment has been upon this earth in, in such a way as that in times past. The word of God shall not fail. And, uh, and as we move on, that's what we come to. Uh, we have this awful desolation that we read about here. You know, nothing, no human beings live in there anymore. Absolute desolation. It goes back to the wild animals. It's interesting. If you go to uh, some of the old RAF bases around our country in East Anglia and places like that, there's still some that just lie open and the buildings are derelict and that. It's a great place to go and see owls. We find out there's all sorts of owls here because there's lots of wildlife, mice and things like that here in this country. Um, out there, I've been to, uh, Beryl and I have visited some of these old ancient sites. I mean, this is a testimony to this here that all these great empires have fallen and great cities and you can go and visit them. But be careful because you might see a snake there. I remember Beryl and I, we went to this place in Cyprus and I saw this snake and it was, a, it was a, some sort of viper and I would not like to be anywhere near that because they got quite a poisonous bite. But, you know, they dwell in these places. They're nice places to be. And, of course, the predator birds, hawks and things like that, were, that's a great place because they'll pick them up and take them away and they'll feed their little ones with them, as we see in this passage. Uh, it, it were, these things take over again. But the final thing I want to say on this judgment here, and uh, as I say, there's, there's too much to cover, but it says in verse uh, 16, search from the book of the Lord and read, not one of these shall fail, not one shall lack her mate, uh, meaning... Uh, that these animals will be, uh, will have their, you know, be able to have their families. For my mouth has commanded it and his spirit has gathered them. Friends, the word of God says these things will happen. They will happen. Whatever the Lord decrees in his word, it will happen. Um, I won't turn it up. I'll just mention briefly. But in chapter 7 of Daniel, Daniel received this... Uh, rather frightening um, prophecy about the future. We look back and see the past. Some of that is still being worked out. And, uh, and it says about the four empires that would be raised up. And we know that that was the present one, which was Babylon. Then there was uh, Persia. Then there was the Greeks under Alexander the Great. And then 
there was uh, the Roman Empire and then whatever came out of the Roman Empire. All of those things Daniel saw. And who was presiding over it? He calls him the Ancient of Days, God. And Jesus was there, the Son of Man. That's why he called himself the Son of Man because he was there uh, at seeing history being worked out and all the persecution of the church and the Lord's people was all being worked out. All those things have happened and will happen because the word of God tells us that. It's what the Lord is saying. But let's move on to, to the fact that there is a hope. There is a hope. Chapter 35, you have this contrast. There is a hope, there is a change here that this wilderness, this wasteland uh, shall be glad then. Because what's going to happen, it tells us, it's going to blossom. It's going to be rejuvenated. It's going to be recreated. You know, when God does the final judgment in this world, there will be fire. There will be uh, a complete purification of this planet, of the universe. Uh, I get the, the sense as I read this passage. This is, this is John Francis' theory now. Nothing from the word, you know. This is, as I read this passage, it seems like there's going to be a, a time of Sabbath. When Jesus comes again, that'll be the end of the world, friends, and everybody will be called to judgment. And there's an awful lot of people on this world to be judged. That's going to take some time, isn't it? And, and w- those who are the Lord's people are going to be a part of that judgment team with the Lord himself. And it seems that the world, in its renewal, and somebody can talk to me afterwards and say, John, you got it wrong there. Well, that's fine. I may have. But it seems there's going to be a sabbatical. As there was a sabbatical for 70 years in, uh, in Judah and Jerusalem, when they were taken into exile, into, as I say, into Babylon. It gave them 70 years. And it, it, it may be in the Lord's uh, providence, when the judgment day comes, the world will be, will be recreated into this beautiful place. When you start to read about these things here, about the glory of Lebanon shall be, shall be given to it. Lebanon with its cedars, with its flowers. And uh, I was reading about these places and, and as I was looking at these things. Why is he saying that? It, it's mentioned in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4. As uh, as a place of beauty and wonder and growth, it's a fertile place. So is the uh, Sharon, the Vale of Sharon, the the flowers there. We talk uh, uh, the um, Shumanite, the Shunamite um, was called the Rose of Sharon. Now I don't know whether there's roses there, but there's certainly some beautiful hibiscus and all manner of flowers in this place. It's a, it's a place of beauty and and. These people would have known that in those days and uh, these places, as was Carmel. That's a mountain range which goes on to the sea. It's an unusual place. And believe it or not, it's a a biospheric uh, place of importance. What does that mean? It's it's a place where uh, it it receives the first rain. And uh, it's a place where vines can grow in abundance, where flowers can grow, where crops can grow. It's a it's a real place of beauty. In fact, that's a place where Elijah went, wasn't it? When he had the duel between God, not that it is a duel because there's only God, and the prophets of Baal. 
And, uh, and it was afterwards that he prayed overlooking the sea from Mount Carmel. That's where the first clouds, that's where they came from because that's the place where uh, the rain will always come from. And so it's a fertile place. And what God is telling us is this world will be renewed. It will be glorious as we've never seen it before because we have spoiled it. There's no two ways about that. We spoil it wherever we go. And, uh, and, and, and the beauty of the earth will be restored. And uh, they too will witness the glory of the Lord. The creation, again, as we say, Paul said it groans now for this day of renewal. And they will see it, they will experience it. And so will the Lord's people. Because the next thing that we read here is about Christ. Christ is revealed to us in this passage as we look at from chapter 3 and onwards down here to 7. Wonderful words that we read here. When I read this, it put me straight to Jesus. He strengthen the weak hands and make the firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are faint-hearted, be strong, do not fear. And it goes on. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sling. What did Jesus do when he walked on this earth? He actually physically healed people who were blind, deaf, dumb and lame, didn't he? We know the stories. Wonderful things that the Lord Jesus did. But you know, we are that spiritually. We are blind to God. Those people in extinction, they may have good reasons why they're there, good purposes, but they're totally blind to God. They're totally blind to the realities of what, the, what is happening in the world today and why it is happening. And we should be praying that people's eyes would be opened to the things of God. And this is about Jesus. How he... This, the love of God came into this world through the Lord Jesus. And he demonstrated these things in the physical. And he also demonstrates it in those who call on his name in their spirits and renews them. And I'm going to finish on this. Christ, the highway of holiness. We talk about this highway of holiness this road, this way. And again, when I read through this passage, what did I think of? What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way of holiness, the highway of holiness. There is no other way to get into heaven except through Jesus and we need to be walking in this highway. Jesus also said that I am the door or I'm the gate, depending on which version, but they're all the same thing, aren't they? We have to enter through Jesus into this highway of holiness. We need to, uh, uh, you know, come before him. He talks about enter by the, the, the narrow gate. And then he said the straight gate. Well, I've said it now, but it means the same thing. Through the narrow gate, 
Jesus is the narrow gate. He is the only one who can save precious souls such as us. He is the only saviour. There is nobody else. We cannot save ourselves. Nobody can do that. Only Christ. And he says that uh, those that walk there, we won't have wild beasts to contend with. We are in Christ's hands and we're walking with him. It's, but it's a way of holiness. And so to enter into this, we need to repent from our sins. We need to recognize that we've got feeble hands and, and that we are feeble people, as he talks about there in verses 3 and 4, that we are blind to the things of God, that we cannot save ourselves. We need to dispense with pride. We need to dispense with the deception that we can control our lives. So many, so many people... They do have awful problems and we hear about them on the television. Oh, you've been through this, but I'm getting control back over my life because an illness can come upon you or something and you lose control. And people, we must control things. Well, we can't. We might control things for a short while, but we can't. But God, we need God. He's the only one who's in control. And we need to commit our lives to him. But we're sinners. And we deserve to go to hell. We deserve this awful judgment that is coming upon us. But it says those that walk in this way have been redeemed. They have been ransomed. What does that mean? Well, that means first of all that when somebody who has been... Uh, uh, what is redemption? Well, redemption is uh, in the old days... Um, and I think they still do it today. You can kidnap people. Certainly, the uh, uh, the British uh, or the, what I mean the English in the days when we in, used to invade France on a regular basis. Not least Edward III, the Black Prince, and Henry V. What was what the way of making money was kidnap some nobleman, and um, and then they would go send a message to the, the castle where he lived or the palace where he lived. He said, "We got your." We got your duke or whatever, and uh, you could have him back for five thousand pounds or whatever it was, and and they would pay the price, and they he would be redeemed and restored to his home. That's what they used to do in those days. We know, but still goes on today. And we need to be bought back because we are slaves to sin. The Bible tells us we're 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 under its power. And we can't get away from it. And we need redeeming. We're going to be punished because of our sin. It has wages, death. And what Jesus does, what Jesus did by coming into this world was that he paid the price. He is the redeemer. When he went to the cross, we remember that last Friday, that Jesus, when he was crucified, he took our hell for us upon the cross. And he is the one that pays the ransom so that we can be brought back into his glorious family, into his presence, to know him as our Lord. And those are the people that walk. It's an everlasting pathway. It's a pathway of holiness. And we as friends, as we walk that pathway... Uh, more and more of Christ should be coming upon us as we're in this life. 
and less of the old self should be dropping away. And we should also, I say this because Bob was preaching about this this morning, that we also should be looking on other people round about us who are not in this uh, highway of holiness, that we should be praying for them and seeking to draw them to the Saviour as well by our holy Christ-like lives. But that pathway will lead us into eternity where there will be no more sorrows or sadness anymore. Praise God for chapter 35. 34 is a miserable chapter, isn't it? But it's real. And we see it in the world even today. And it's going to be an awful end to this world. But to those who are in the highway of holiness, we shall be forever with the Lord. I believe and I hope you're all in the highway of holiness tonight. Because if you're not, then I plead with you to go to the Lord Jesus even now. And you can repent, turn from your sins and put your trust in the Lord Jesus and enter through him into his highway of holiness. And you'll know that you will be in his glorious presence now and forevermore. Amen. And we're going to sing our uh, final hymn this evening.